Okay, so um, here's where we are. We spent, uh, we spent two weeks going through the origins of the Rabbanans. We came up with classes of the Rabbanans. Uh, we came up with sources, of the, with sources for the authority of the Rabbanans. Uh, we went through five different versions in the Rambam. The Rambam contradicts himself, possibly hopelessly, possibly not. Um, the upshot for me is uh, there, are two things, there are two things that, um, that come out that are important. One is there are multiple practical ways in which a rabbinic decree can gain authority. One is by gaining a rabbinic consensus, and the other is by gaining a popular consensus. And the, the point I kept making was that there seems to be a way for rabbinic decrees to have authority locally, even when there is disagreement, right? That, you know, that it's on the authority of the area, and that was a very important thing. Um, and secondly, there are two psukim, um, one, um, more than two psukim, but two psukim that variants of, of the Pasuk, which is Ki Plevim Chab, that series by, by Zakein Mamre, which ends up with Lotasur, and Vishamrut Mishmarti. And the suggestion I made at the end, for the end of uh, last class, is that maybe uh, Vishamrut Mishmarti has nothing to do with the Sanhedrin specifically, as opposed to Lotasur, which is in the context which relates to the Sanhedrin specifically. Now, you can do it even more narrowly. You can claim that Vishamrut only applies to Shniot Larayot, right? That's one place, and so it doesn't. It doesn't relate to, to Shniot Larayot, right? This, the, the incestuous relationships aren't, aren't explicit in the Torah. So then you can narrow that, but, right, but the widest range you can give it is by claiming it, it also applies to a whole variety of rabbinic decrees, but it's not dependent on the authority of a Sanhedrin at all. all right, so then we have two different ways in which we can get rabbinic authority in the absence of a Sanhedrin. One, and possibly even in the absence of a broad rabbinic consensus, one is by claiming it depends on popular acceptance, and the other is by claiming that there's some kind of authority, there's some kind of obligation to make, to make um, some, some set of rabbinic decrees, which, in, which in here is in some group that is given authority in some way, which we like to call rabbis, uh, which may be local, which may be broad, we don't really know. So Mishmarut Mishmarti is an imperative, right? Right. So I'm assuming, you can challenge it, Vishamrut Mishmarti is addressed to the lawgiver and not the law observer. The, the, right, the observance. Because the phrase Vishamrut Mishmarti, I say, Vishmarti is Mishmarti, yes, thank you. Uh, right, it's, it's framed as Asu Mishmerit Mishmarti. Right, so it's, right, so if we understand it as make decrees, so it's a decree addressed to the lawgiver. Okay, right. So good. The question is, so why? You know, why didn't the Torah make it originally? Right? How do you decide when it's? How do you decide when it's necessary? When it's not? What, you know, is, is it just a requirement to make laws because you need to make a law? Right. That seems to be. That seems to be a little, a, a little extreme. There may be places where you have vague. Like we have this notion of of Mesoranah Katuv Lachachamim by the Inuyim on Yom Kippur, the Melachot on Cholamoid, where we just say, you know. There's supposed to be something else, or you get to pick which one. Uh, right? You have a parallel notion I enjoy that uh, that Moshe Rabbeinu has the initials of the makot engraved on his mateh, but he gets to pick anything that starts with that letter. <laughs> right? So you know, with Arbeb, who knows? You think of anything, think of anything you want to begin with an aleph. I thought Moshe Rabbeinu could have inflicted that on Israel. Sometimes there's space for, uh, I guess you know, some equivalent of God proposes and man disposes. I guess. Uh, in that way, um, yes, yeah, so that's right. So, but then I, what I what I wanted to argue is that um, that there are needs that that have to be met that way. Uh, the Torah doesn't tell you what they are because they're situational. But the Torah says that one of the ways that you know that you're not supposed to just stand back and say, "Okay, I can't do anything." Uh, it says you're not supposed to be frozen by the risk of baltosif. Um, and maybe not at Baltigra either, right? You're, right? you're allowed to play around at the edges of Torah um, because you have to respond to circumstances. Um, so that's why I gave you the, uh, I gave you the Meiri and, um, and, and two, two copies of Rabbi Yaakov Kabaneski's um, MS, um, MS Lyakov, um, each of which argued that they wrote arise with the Anshe Knesses Hagdola. Um, Right, that the uh, the um, 
exactly right. The Mary doesn't give an explanation of why. He just says until that time they didn't do it, and that's why, and that's why people kept on violating real deoraisas, which sounds implicitly like an attempt to, to solve the problem that many people have, which is on the one hand we idealize the spirituality of prior generations, on the other hand they seem to commit avirot that on mass that orthodox identification would probably prevent nowadays, right? So we can be cynical. No, we just don't realize which avirot we're committing on mass. Uh, but we tend to have a problem, a problem with that. So one solution is to claim that they just lived in a world which was much higher stakes all the time. I have to figure out how to justify that, right? How to justify that or not. Whether that works or not is not my issue. I mean, that seems to be what Meiri is, uh, is working on. Then here, you have Yaku Kaneski's fast... But they only chose to start making these law, these law, these rules, you know, in right. why didn't the same thing occur to Yeshua or David or Shlomo HaMelech? Well, yes, and David only became is that when you go to higher stakes or did you pick the I think that that they understood that if you don't make derabanans, people will violate more derabanans than they would if you made derabanans. So the question is. Right, so why don't you just make derabanans? So the answer is that there's a price in living in that world where you're constantly shielded, um, right? Whatever, right, whatever, reason, whatever reason it is, right? They're, they're saying there's a price. You're not living with constant derabanans of choices as is your live options. And at some point, the price overwhelmed it. I'd like to have a more positive thing. So I often argue, right? I don't, I, you know, I think this is not entirely my chiddush, although I have some kolagatas to back it up. That uh, the Gemara Yoma says that, um, as I understand it. That when it says that they're right, they're rebuilding the second Beit Hamikdash, and all of a sudden they notice the Yitzhara for Arayot dancing among them at the rebuilding of the temple, so they capture it. They notice the Yitzhara for Avodah and for Arayot dancing with them, and they kill the Yitzhara for Avodah And at that point, a giant, uh, not a, a lion of fire comes out of the Kodesh Kodeshim, and that I think is clearly a metaphor that the Yitzhara for Avodah is the same as the Yitzhara Tov for Avodah Hashem. And Bayit Cheney is a simulacrum, right? It's always, it's not actually, it's not actually a Beit Hamikdash, right? Ramban says it doesn't even count. You don't have to look for Bayit Cheney in Chumash because Bayit Cheney is fake. It's not really a gula. Uh, it's just, right? It's just what God had to give us because we were going to fall into the, you know, into the abyss. But it's not really, and that was a choice, that, right? They could have rebuilt the Beit Hamikdash. They looked at it and they said, oh look, this is why the last Beit Hamikdash was destroyed, because if you allow us to have that kind of ecstasy, we're going to be back worshiping Avodazara. I, you know, so I well, we want to look for some kind of calculus like that about Darabanans as well. That there's something you lose when you, have, when you create these hedges. And at some point, they just decide, you know, we're no longer on a madriga where we can afford to take the, 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 the cost-benefit. You know, in that world, you have to say, okay, and, the, um, and, you know, and when the base of is, is restored, there won't be any Darabanans again. Uh, but Rebecca Kamenetsky gave a different vision in which he said, essentially, if, and I'm putting the psukim in, he doesn't mention them, that Fasum Ishmerit Lamishmarti used to be an individual decree, individual obligation. Everybody had to set the fences up that they, um, that, that protected themselves from their own Yisrahera. And at some point we decided that we were no longer capable of giving that responsibility over to individuals, so we transferred the authority to set up these, to set up these fences to some kind of other authority. Who that other authority is, he doesn't really state. And yeah, that goes back to the whole claim he made along that the authority for these is some kind of combination of you know of popular acceptance and and scholarship. And then the next piece of Yaakov Kamenetsky, you know, he goes on this whole uh, long rhetorical spiel about how the Torah would have disappeared if they hadn't suddenly started making national xerot. And leaving aside how and when and where, that's the you know, the thesis. That thesis seems to suggest we'd be in lots of trouble if we couldn't make zero now unless somehow the world has changed again in one of two ways. Either we have enough hedges that, you know, we hit, that we hit the saturation point, so we don't need to make new zero because we already have all the zero we need. Uh, or alternatively, uh, that we must have the authority to make new zero. Because the way he said it, you have to adjust everything to the time and place. And here, you know, so if, if this is an essential tool for adjusting things to time and place, and we cannot adjust things to time and place, so Torah is going to disappear again, just like it would have before the Anshik Nasa Zagdola. So we're in trouble. Um, 
So I talked last time about how there's a need, you know, that they're really, you know, if something is actually essential, the odds are likely it's going to be just how clunky the workaround is, uh, right? Because, you know, but that you get into the tautology that um, you won't know what is necessary for, for survival until you, you survive or not. Right? You, can't, you can't tell in advance. That's where you get, you know, talked about survival of the fittest being a tautology. Because obviously whatever is fit survives. Remember we talked about Chihuahuas and Cuteness as a survival, as a survival strategy. Okay. So that takes us to page uh, nine. Um, we're going to do uh, uh, tonight, and I guess we'll, we'll try to get as far as we can, is um, we're going to look at Rav Moshe and Rav Avadia's different reactions to the problem of the authority of Xerot in our day. And Rav Avadia is going to set up a claim that we can't make Xerot in our day. We'll see that Rav Moshe is more ambivalent about that. And then uh, maybe we'll talk about at least one other contemporary of theirs, um, one authority, and just to point out something about their tribute, and then we'll start and see how far we get in trying to analyze whether Ravavadya's case stands on its own, ir- regardless of the specific case he talks about, whether he in fact makes a compelling case, uh, either that there is compelling, there's a compelling theoretical conceptual, constructual, structural reason that we don't make Zerot, or at least a claim that's always been true. That at a certain point in history, it was recognized logically that you can't make Zerot. And it could just be, you know, it could just be magic. Um, so, you know, I give my, my usual example of magic is this. So there is a principle that you're, you're familiar with in the Gemara that on occasion rabbis can annul, uh, can annul weddings retroactively possibly by reassigning ownership of the coin or the ring, whatever that's used to create it. Um, so the question is, is this, a, 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 is this an absolute power that, you know, that, that um, any group of rabbis or a group of rabbis that's with sufficient authority can annul any wedding they want for whatever reason they deem sufficient, or is it limited in some way? So the Rashba in one place has a famous position that essentially seems to say the following, if I recall it correctly. We don't understand how the rabbis could do this. It doesn't make any sense to us. Weddings, weddings shouldn't be annullable retroactively, uh, especially weddings that are effectuated by consummation as opposed to by money, because money you can transfer the ownership. What do you do, right? What do you do with a physical action? And therefore, he says, well, it's a miracle. You can't argue with miracles, so it happens. So you can. It happens in the cases where they said it happens, but you can't apply it anywhere else because we don't understand it. In order to move it to any other case, you'd have to, have to say, you have to, you have to say, oh, there's a, there's a principle I can extract, but there isn't. Because I don't understand how it happened. They said it, so I can't argue with it. Uh, right. Um, in the the um, series I was doing before, uh, before Sukkot, that probably I'll end up trying to do in the, in the end of your reader as a whole thing, uh, but I have a, is talking about how the way that then became, it, right? So that in the, at least by, by the late 19th century, and then it's been a much live, live issue. People raise the question, the question of constructing the Rashba's cases for real in order to, in order, in order to solve issues. In other words, right, so let's say the, one of the cases the Gemara talks about, it may not be the right case, is we annul the wedding if a husband sends a get to a wife by agent and then annuls, annuls the agency without the agent present. So in that case, the rabbi said we annul the wedding, and right, even though the divorce, the, document, the, the agency for divorce is no longer valid, so if the agent gives a divorce, you shouldn't be divorced. That's okay, because when the agent gives a divorce, the wedding is annulled retroactively. Why? Because it's, you can't have this. You can't let husbands do this, right? Trick their wives into believing they're divorced and then right, sending, sending them off, right? It's bad social policy. So there are cases, right, which have, you know, where um, the most famous case, which may have been more than one case, maybe the same story you know, as, as Britta, is of a Holocaust survivor, uh, who was thought dead coming back? His wife is remarried, and um, you know, and so now there's a disaster looming. So they tell him to write to write his wife again, and hand it to the agent. And then they tell him, no, 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 they're you know that wasn't good a good idea. You should you should tell the agent, and that way they create Afkinu and they solve the problem. Right, so right, so there's a cycle, right? So, you know, where we where we do that next. I I thought that I actually was involved in such a case at Revadius Seth's instruction. Uh, where he he asked the Boston Beitin to to uh, construct this to construct such a case in order to solve a mom's favorite case, yeah. Uh, the woman you know had come from the Soviet Union, and then her husband shows up. Husband shows up years later. She's remarried. She has a child. Uh, okay. 
that's just background, right? So, so now with that background, let's take a look, right? So source 15, I just, you know, but you know, that the, the counter, the reason you wouldn't want to make zero, the easiest one is Baltosif, right? That's the, um, and that's, uh, right, um, right, right, how do we know that all add subtract, um, right? Because God said, uh, right, God said, do not eat from it and do not touch it. But you all know that God didn't say, do not eat from it, do not touch it. God actually just said, right, don't eat from it. It's Chava who says that God said, don't touch it. And that the Ava the, uh, the, uh, structures this, that, um, that it's because Adam told, how would she know? It must be that Adam told Chava this. And what I think is one of the great moments of rabbinic humor, right, on Vasius Siagla Torah, one of the rabbinic comments says, how do we know that you're supposed to make a Siagla Torah? Well, just like Adam did. Like, that worked out really well, didn't it? <laughs> right, so there's, there's an awareness. Uh, there's an awareness among the rabbis that, uh, that they're playing with fire. Uh, I love it that they write that. You can say, I mean, I said Siagla Torah. All right, Adam is Yeso Abilvero. Uh, and by the way, I just love mentioning, right? Ravenkin has this amazingly beautiful word, which I think is probably Pshat about Rabbi Natan, that the real hate of the real hate was Adam not telling Chava that this was only Drabanan because he put himself in place of God, as opposed to telling her what God said and letting her make up her own mind. Uh, right? So the really the original sin is Adam not having sufficient respect for Chava. Everything else comes from that. Right? The original sin isn't eating the isn't eating the fruit or even being tempted by the fruit. It's um, seeing your job, seeing your position as the recipient of God's word as giving you power as opposed to responsibility. Anyway, okay, beautiful word, right? Thank you. Yeah, it clearly counts like one of the you know, the t- top ten monorthodox words that everyone should know. Uh, okay, so now we go to Igros Moshe. Uh, this is one of a several Igros Moshe on the subject, but this is the one that matters most to us. Its formulations are slightly different somewhere else. He says regarding the matter that regard that electrically it's possible via what we call a Shabbat clock um, that you can set up an Erev Shabbat in such a way that you can start your cooking or you can have your cooking happen ex- happen on Shabbat by uh, by setting a timer. Okay, so Moshe right, is the first truth I know that addresses how to do this electrically. Uh, in other in another shir I talk about how there are precedents for doing it non electrically. There's a version of doing it with uh, which is the first version. Uh, which was first invented theoretically in the early 17th century by Halakha Khtanar as a thought experiment, and then apparently actually adopted um, in Frankfurt in the late 18th or 19th century, which is just lighting a very long fuse before Shabbat. That gets to the kindling under a pot on Shabbat. And that's the same thing, perhaps, as a Shabbos clock. Uh, and then there's, you know, there, were, there were versions set up uh, with, um, with magnifying glasses to focusing the light so that Right, so that the sun would focus the light onto kindling just in time for Shalom. Uh, right, and then there were more primitive mechanical clocks that could be set up on stoves. Ramosha is the first one I know of who addresses the question in terms of electric timers. Uh, he says, And there's this amazing formulation, It is forbidden to permit this. He could have just stopped as Asur. It's forbidden. But he doesn't say it's forbidden. He says it's forbidden to permit. Uh, because not because it's usher, but because the consequences are unthinkable. Right? If you allow electric timers, right, so you could really, right, you can fairly straightforwardly, as opposed to doing it by magnifying glasses, where you could also set up a machine complicated enough, right, that you know that that is you know that is activated by smoke or something like that. If you focus the focus the magnifying glass on a, but we all understand that electric timers make 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 everything much easier to, right, make the, you can run a much more complicated industrial world electrically that you couldn't have run by, uh, by prior means. Um, and, and all the factories can run that way. Um, of course, all the factories do run that way in Israel, right, just a Moshe didn't have to run the factories that can't be shut down for Shabbat, of which the, you know, the primary example are nuclear power plants. But generally, power plants can't be shut down for Shabbat, right? So that, raise, that raises all sorts of fun halachic issues. But Ramosha says, if this would happen, we would, we would run all the factories, not just, maybe not, not just the power plants, but even the inessential factories. Um, there is no greater desecration of Shabbat than allowing all the malachot to happen. Uh, then everything. 
Yeah. So the Chassam Sofer, when he addressed the question of the fuse, said, obviously God doesn't care about Malachah happening on Shabbat. If he cared about Malachah happening on Shabbat, then he would ban Malachah for non-Jews also. All God cares about is whether Jews do Malachah. And that's what Rav Dovitz said also when he, was dealt, when he, when he dealt with, uh, with, with an earlier question. But Rav Moshe thinks there has to be a limit to that. Especially since here, all the Malachah that we're doing can be done, it's all done at the uh, instigation of Jews. Right, so, you have to, you know, so it's going too far in the Chassam Sofer's argument to say, even though we paskin like Beit Hill against Beit Shammai, that in principle, that, right, that you are allowed to start a malacha on Friday afternoon and, and, allow, and have it continue into Shabbat, the requirement just being it shouldn't be too noisy, whatever, whatever, whatever we, however we understand the, the requirement that you can't do that for, for a water mill. Um, but Ramosha says, you know, I know there's like, a, I'm sure he knows that Gemara, right? Full well the Gemara, that we paskin like Beit Hill against Beit Shammai. And he knows that, you know, that the Malach is mutter for Jews, so God can't just care about what happens on Shabbat. And yet, this is just inconceivable to him. I just can't, I can't imagine a world. Uh, yes? Uh, He's not saying that people will come to break Shabbos. No. Not people will come to break Shabbos. Shabbos yeah, will disappear. It's itself a... Yes. It's not slippery slope that people will come to cook on Shabbat if you allow them to cook via timer. A reasonable argument would say no, right? This way, no one will have to bother cooking on Shabbat because they can do everything by timer. And you can never, you know, this is uh, Rabbi Linder and I have this guy, you know, that this conversation several times on YouTube. You know, whether is it a big thing? You know, what happens if we just create a world where we decide that um, you know every we don't care about uh, which people are coming to the point where we don't, we don't care about um, motion sensors. Don't forget Shabbat clocks. Let's just turn everything on my motion sensor by waving hands. Right, so right, all right, right. So we can, you know, what if you think voice activation, so the computer doesn't do anything, so just have Alexa run everything. So right, so it's, right, it's, it's not, there's not a slippery slope. The other way around, right? If we allow you to do things, right, then probably many more people would be technically Shomer Shabbat. One could argue if we allowed them to do everything by Alexa. And didn't say you're not allowed to cook on Shabbat. Said you're allowed to cook on Shabbat, but you have to tell Alexa to do it for you. It's an interesting argument, right? Do we? And in many ways, we think you know, we think that uh, Shabbat is made better because of these things. So Shabbat deals with another Shabbat, not our issue here, right? But like air conditioning, we like having the air conditioner go on a Shabbat clock. It makes life a lot better, right? Dish, uh, dishwashers are an interesting, uh, interesting thing. Dishwashers improve Shabbat. Electric lights on timers improve Shabbat and save energy. But Ramosh, right, in his other truth, Ramosh has to deal with, with all those things, and he has he fights for what you know, call a, a, a fighting retreat. Everything is us or except lights. Everything is us or except lights and air conditioners. Everything is us or except lights and air conditioners and dishwashers. That's not in that's not in a chuva, but that's a, a psak for my for my in laws. Uh, right, so Ramosh, you know, fought, and maybe and sometimes that's a sometimes that's a fine rabbinic strategy. To just you know a fighting retreat, and so that you can watch what happens, and you know and see if you can try and you know and see what happens you know and, and and usually it's an illusion that you can stop it. That's the only you know that's you know, usually usually it's not actually a fighting retreat, but you um, you break you break ranks fairly early and get routed. <laughs> but it's a reasonable strategy to try. Um, and sometimes not necessarily that way. Right? Sometimes not necessarily that way. I think it's just his sense, like, you know, is this Shabbos? Yeah, I think that's a fair argument. Yeah, I used to do that in my high school classes also, like, try and imagine uh, whether um, there's a, Ray Bradbury has a short story that will come soft rains, which he imagines a completely automatic house. Uh, right, so what could be better on Shabbat, right? Well, you can learn. You sit down in your chair, and immediately, right, immediately the light goes on, uh, uh, right, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a hot coffee <laughs> at your side, and now you can learn in complete peace, right? Because before Shabbat, you have to, really, all you can't, you can't focus properly, you don't have enough, you don't have your caffeine properly, right? All, Shabbat should be the day where all your material goods are taken care of perfectly, and you can focus on spirituality. It's a perfectly reasonable world in which we celebrate uh, electricity and say that, you know, Baruch Hashem, right, you know, we finally overcome the Karaite impulse to think that Shabbat is supposed to be uncomfortable, <laughs> Right, we light Shabbat. We put our lights on Friday night, but what happens if we want to learn later on Friday night? Right, you know, our our uh, our furnaces used to go out. 
And what a terrible thing was the only case we A terrible thing is that poor people couldn't learn on Shabbat because they weren't because they had to they had to learn by they had to learn by oil lamps, and there was a risk that they would that they would tilt them. And now there isn't. Baruch Hashem. Now we can learn all night, right? So you can imagine a world. Uh, and I think that you know while we all say that Shabbat is a day which we're free from technology, it's not. Right? Our Shabbat is, is is structured by the by the use of technology in all sorts of ways, and we would not in any way wish to go back to. You know, to uh, my father's world in Europe, right, with no running water and, <laughs> uh, and no uh, and no electrical power on Shabbat, uh, right? Even in Brock, they put up their own generators because they don't want to use the power system, but they have their own generators. They don't go without electricity for Shabbat because all their food's going to spoil. Right? They're, they're they're not using ice boxes instead of uh, right, instead of refrigerators. They're using very fancy refrigerators, the Shabbat mode. Yes. So we could have said, you know what, so we'll ban all commercial uses and allow private uses, and we'll try and hold the line that we failed to hold about principle. Right? That, or about heteriska, really. Right? Heteriska, a good theory, which I like very much, heteriska, which lets you lend money to interest, is only supposed to be used for commercial transactions um, and not for, uh, not for private transactions. Um, right, because we understand that lending money and interest in the context of a commercial transaction in this world does not, does not create the kind of predatory things that, right, that private loans do. Uh, but we didn't really, we have, you know, now we're trying to revive that a little bit, even though that distinction was lost a lot over the, over the years. So you could argue, you know what, you can only use electricity for a private Shabbat, and you can't use it for commercial purposes. That would also have been a perfectly reasonable way, and if you imagine we're making a Xera, you could have set up that Xera. Right, and maybe that's what Ramosha wanted, I don't know. Ravosha's language here is, right, he says, um, um, right, it's an amazing line, he says, It's obvious that Chazal would have ushered it had they known about it, but they didn't. So now what do we do? Then his language is really interesting. He says, Even if we were to say, uh, sorry, I think, did I put the wrong, uh, I put an extra sentence down here, right? His first positive, maybe, Maybe right, maybe we'll talk about the question of uh, Amir Lenachem here. So we can skip line of Aval, right? So in the the se- the uh, the second line of the last paragraph, Aval Afim Nema She'ein Lesor Elamasha Tiknu Chachamim. Even if you were to say that we should, uh, sorry, stop, I should have put the uh, source down. I apologize. All right, even 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 if you were to say that it is forbidden, that we do not have the capacity to make prohibitions that. Um, that Chazal have not previously made. So that suggests that it might be possible. Uh, it might be possible to do that. So he, right, he, leaves it, he leaves it sort of ambiguous. Right? Even if you were to say that we can't forbid things, uh, right, you know, he avoids the word Xerah here. Ein l'esor, elamasha tiknu chachamim. All the terminology goes, uh, goes Louis uh, in that one. Nonetheless, he says, right, uh, e- even if you were to say that, um, right, so you could have argued that we can't make new gzerot, but that we can make, we can say that things are asr make kal If they answered this and kal they would have answered that. And that's not really making a new gzerot. You're going to go so far as to say, no, we treat their prior gzerot as sort of black boxes, so we can only talk about what they included and not what they obviously would have included. Um, even so, he says, uh, right, uh, right. We say we, you can't do that because look, they didn't forbid it, so there's no authority, there's no law against it. Even if you were to say, well, the reason they didn't forbid it is they didn't know about it, but had they seen it, they of course would have forbid it. That might be a better reason to make it usher under their authority, or a worse reason. But it's an interesting line, right? See, he seems to suggest that we might say we can't make nugzerot except about things that have happened since. Even if you were to say we can't, right? So, so his first line of principle is, is we should just answer this. Second line, you need to say we can't, we can't, we, we can't answer things. Well, that maybe that only applied to things that were around when they were around. Even if you say all that, um, um, and, um, and, and, and therefore there's no real prohibition here. You can't say it's a matter of law. You still can't permit it. 
Kevan should who davar her ruui leesur. So they're saying that it's appropriate to forbid. Right? That's an amazing, amazing language. Right? Things that should be forbidden, but according to that position, you end up in a world where halacha is uh, imperfect. No, it, it's permitted. It's just it's permitted. It's just forbidden to permit it. I can't tell you that it's permitted. I could not tell you it's forbidden. What I can tell you is that it's forbidden to permit. <laughs> uh, I might tell you I am forbidden to tell you that it, that it is permitted. Uh, that's a fascinating category of law. Right, absolutely, right. I think it's one of the you know the all time great children of Moshe. Uh, that right, where you know his language is chosen. So. I am not aware of any formulation that approaches this. I'm sure there are things at the, at the margins, whatever you talk about Naval Bashir Tatura, right? Right, when it writes that oh, we understand and we're talking about Kadesha Sukhabi Mutar Lakha. anything that talks about things that are Hadin that you really shouldn't do. So we get into similar notions. But usually there we try and find some reason other than a lack of authority. Right? Is the, uh, first one, yeah. Okay, right, that's it, right? The Baratine is a good strategy. In some cases, it looks too close to us, or some people will think you're doing something else. Right? There are all sorts of strategies. It's fascinating because here the Bosha doesn't try any of them. Really, right? He just says, it's obviously should be us, sir. Well, you know, you should know that. Uh, but he seems to think the law has a lot, you know, but I can't tell you otherwise because he's, he's bound by the law. And the law says he can't make a law. Yes. So that's an interesting question. Halakha Marinkane is usually is usually a lenient uh, usually a um a um usually we don't let you tell people the leniency. I guess yes, this is another case where we don't let you tell people the leniency. Uh yeah, I guess there are um there are similarities to Halakha in uh Vain Marinkane. Yeah, no, it's an interesting interesting analogy. I have to think better about why he doesn't just use that language. Halakha and Marinkane, there's certain places where the Gemara says that's the halacha, but you can't tell anyone. So, usually, it's a case where it's where it's where it's a leniency, but you know, we're, we're allowing that leniency would um, would have real consequences for you know people would take it badly. But it's tough to know. It's tough to know, and of course, you know, once it was written in the Gemara, so then you have the uh, you have a problem that you know, and dafyomi happens. So, in what sense is halacha vein morinkain? Uh, I asked Rabbi Bleich once, um, is there still halacha vein morinkain nowadays? Everything is in translation. And the story he told me was that once someone came to him during a halachic leap year, and it was an avil, and it was, you know, it was coming to shul you know, only to say Kaddish, and came to him and said, because of the leap year, do I say Kaddish for 11 months or 12 months? And Rabbi said, well, I knew, of course, the halacha is 11 months, but if I tell him that, then um, he's not going to come to shul. If I tell him that it's 12 months, he'll come to shul for an extra, 12, for an extra month. So I told him 12 months. And he went to the rabbi the next shul, and the rabbi the next shul said, of course it's 11 months. And everybody likes to come to me with an I was Yamaris. Right? Meaning that you can't say Allah for the unless everybody goes along. <laughs> and when the people can ask somebody else, and that somebody else, right, uh, is being married, it doesn't do any good at all. And, and because we live in a world where everybody can ask Rabbi Google, uh, so Allah for the is not really past examples of halacha and vein morinkane are no longer viable. Nowadays, you have to construct a new oral tradition of which, of which things you can't say. So yeah, it's not a bad analogy at all. Uh, I have to think about whether, it's, whether he's doing something different. If he doesn't use that language, that's interesting. That's a very good question. It shouldn't really be though. Should, should yeah, we can say Allah and Marinkane is something you're allowed to do for yourself, right? As if you just can't tell other people it's mutter. And here you couldn't do it yourself either. Right? Because it's just wrong. It's wrong, but it's wrong, but not yet illegal. Right? Um, okay, I just you know, and so I think the, the question is, is really like how much of Allah would have to be this way as the world changes? 
Uh, do we, if Rav Moshe is right, do we end up in a, in a world where halacha just can't handle itself? And we move into a realm where they're really, you know, where much of the world is um, halacha-ish. Because right? it's not really halacha, it's just things that we pretend are halacha, which you could argue is what everything about electricity on Shabbos is. Right, that's uh, right, Rabbi. The one understanding of Shlomo Zalman's position, which I find convincing, is that the right, what's the halacha of, of electricity? Halacha is that we agree that we ag- we have a minag to treat the productive completion of an electrical circuit on Shabbat as if it were drabanan. Right, so we're, we're pretending that we created a minag. Uh, right, so that's an interesting claim. Rabbi Blythe hates that because Rabbi Blythe goes to this Rav Moshe and says, right, you know, we can't create new Xerot, uh, and therefore it must be Dioraita. Because we, all, we, all, we have a minute that it's Asr, we can't just be pretending, so it must be Asr Dioraita, and that's why he baskins by the Chazunish, that completing circuits is Dioraita. Because it doesn't make any sense to say that it's Dioraita, because we can't have Dioraita. <laughs> and he's not willing to say there's a minute to treat it as Dioraita, that's too complicated. Uh, but maybe that's it. Maybe it's just that, you know, maybe we're, oh yeah, that's Rabbi Linzer's position, essentially, that we're. Uh, that we know that we have moved into a world where there is much less real halakha on Shabbat. I mean, there's still things like, you know, you shouldn't actually, you know, like write letters um, in pen. Uh, but Deborah, you know, Deborah loves to talk about it you know, against it. And so when she said, well, you know, please don't do your homework, your homework on Shabbat, they say, okay, we won't do it on a computer book and we handwrite it. Right? which is a perfectly reasonable position to ask from anyone who has any sense of Shabbat other than the purely technically halachic. The example where the Rabbanan had actually could potentially lead to more Shabbat. Yeah. Yeah, right? So you end up, right, with, right? That's, it's a really, right? But I think it, like, it's a great way of showing the clash. If everyone's intuition about what Shabbat is about is about not using your computer, Right, and writing with a pencil would be kilachar yad. <laughs> right? Or a pen. Uh, right, pencil is a whole separate question. Uh, okay. That's Rav Moshe. Uh, so we decide you can just live with it. Right? And that, that's, I think that eventually that will be the... That, over time it seems reasonable that, you know, that, we're in a race to, that we're in a race to getting halacha cover less and less of... And more, and more and more of halacha being like this. Right, if we don't have the capacity to adapt. So I think remote is a really interesting illustration of why we might want the capacity to adapt. Um, okay. Uh, so now we go to the Mishnah Shabbos. Mishnah Shabbos, the matter to us is, it says you're not allowed to read L'or Haner. Uh, right? L'or Haner doesn't mean by candlelight. It may right, you know that Nair in rabbinic literature refers to, to oil lamps and not to, not to, uh, to, to candles. And in fact, there's a, right, a whole live literature, which is, we will look at very, you know, very tangentially, about whether, in fact, it is us to read by candlelight. I'd be perfectly much to read by candlelight on Friday night, because because you don't tip, can, you don't tip candles to affect the draw. But you do, the problem is you do, right? You know, anyone who has, like, you know, certain kinds of Abdullah candles, which are large enough, you know that eventually you need to tip it because they drown in their own, because they drown in their own pool, so you actually, actually turn into oil lamps over time. Maybe it depends on the candle. Okay. Uh, okay. Here is, right... Uh, in discussing this question, so uh, Rav Avadia, um raises the, the raises the issue that um, we can't be gozer xerot out of our own heads. Now that is not the only way to solve the problem. Uh, I was reading over, uh, I guess in Shul, um, Monday morning, I think, a work called Sheilat Yitzchak by Rabbi Yitzchak Olbaum, was the father of the. My um, brother-in-law says to Shul Rabbi, Rabbi Noach Isaac Obama is a prominent Posig nowadays. His father was also a Posig. Um, so he, he, he takes on this Shiloh and, and just basically says, no, the rationale for banning reading by lamp light doesn't apply to electric, electric light, so why should it be us? Or what's the problem? Uh, he doesn't understand why Ravadia goes to all this effort to say it should be us, or, but we can't us. Or. All right, that's interesting. Uh, I was I probably have to put it as a class together. Right? I don't want to, but it was, it's useful to me because I think that we lose um, we lose context for post game and so chivot that come that seem like really great chivot to us um, because they're the only chivot that survive on the issue. We don't really know what the options were. So it, that for for many of us, like one of the great chivot of Rav Moshe is the question about uh, right. Yeshiva Bachar wants to marry a uh, a balas chuva, but she knows that her parents weren't shomer taras hamishpacha, 
And there's a Rambam who understands the Gemara saying that if a woman was born to a mother who was Nida at the time, right, at the time of, of, the, of conception, so there's a, some kind of pagam. And a mishpacha, and a mishpacha miyuchesed shouldn't marry someone from that family. So this fellow writes to Rav Moshe and says, how could you, right, you know, can I marry her? Seems lovely. But I want to marry somebody with a, with a pagam. And Rav Moshe has this amazing tshuva in which he says, well, she's a balas tshuva, so plainly she has an neshama that doesn't have a pagam. Um, so it must be that her mother uh, went swimming in a sufficiently loose bathing suit in a natural body of water that would count as a mikveh just before conception. And that's so definite that you can marry her. That's an amazing tshuva and raises all sorts of issues like, you know, did he really believe this? Do you have to really believe it? And Shana Zilchak says, look, uh, but you know, what, in what universe could you think that right, if you become a Baal Shiva, all your sins are forgiven, so obviously all the Pagamas, all the Pagams in your Neshama are gone too, right? It's a much, it's a much simpler solution. Than, you know, so that's like, you know, we love the Shiva of Moshe because it shows his willingness to go to such an extreme, but it was, you know, but I've always loved learning that Shiva that way, and so reading this, you know, contemporary Shiva is like, you know, you don't need, a, you don't need that kind of fancy intellectual fireworks, you can do it just inside the system, and you know, and, and you could just maybe look at the person and say, you're being ridiculous. Uh, right, it's obviously not intended for the world we live in. Um, you know, very. It's the same basis, right? Rabbi Moshe thinks he has to construct a physical world to say there's no, there's no pgam, and Rabbi Elbaum didn't think you had to. Look, there's obviously no pgam, and you know, let's find a way theologically. So, right, so it's important to know, and I, you know, I often don't know because we don't. Like most, you know, even you know, I think uh, most reasonably learned rabbinim probably couldn't name. If you asked, like, if you had, if you had your list of the top ten. Post in the United States between 1950 and 1990, and you went to your average fairly learned shul rabbi and asked them to name five. Five of the top ten, they could, they would get you one. Rav Moshe. Maybe they would get you Rav Henkin, who gets you right, who gets you somewhere into the late into the, into the early 60s, and then that would be it. There was a whole ecosystem of people in America right, who were writing, you know, who were writing shiva, they were, you know, who were serious. And just didn't uh, get the same popularity. And to understand it, that's where you know, history is useful. Okay, so here's where the Omer says it is, Behold, it is known that our teachers, the Rishonim and Achronim, state a rule that we ought not to be gozer zeroed out of our own minds. Right? That's the key phrase. Right? Shain, Shain Lanit, right? By the Kaile Rabbosena Rishonim Achronim, right? So Ravadia has a sweeping claim. Right? The Kaile means that they, I believe they make a klal. Right? So there's a, there's a, Generalization made by the Rishonim and the Achronim, um, We should not make zerot, um, and that sounds like the same rule that Rav Moshe uh, right, is suggesting maybe is binding. Right, Rav Moshe doesn't say it for sure, but he functions as if it's true, because in the end he doesn't say it's Asari, right? He, he only he only functions in his in his in his as if. But the Rav makes a claim: the Rishonim, our teachers, Rishonim and Achronim, state this as a rule. Here's his first example. It says Kamosha Kasaf Harash, Litmoa al Hagaonim. Right, he is expressing astonishment at the Godim. Sheheach Yachlu Lechadej Gzera, Achar Shesosam Rav Ashi Hashas. So here Ravadia is pulling, um, you know, is pulling a number of, of rapid tricks on you. Essentially, <laughs> uh, so he says, right, I know this is a rule because the Rush expressed astonishment at the Godim, saying, How could the Godim make Gzera? After Rav Ashi finished the Shas. So, Rav, so, Rav, so the Rush is stating a rule that we can't make zero after the Shas, but that, as far as the Rush understands, the Gonim disagreed. So, Rav Ashi states, you know, I have this rule stated by the Rishonim and Achronim, yeah, but not the Gonim. Uh, right, that's the first thing you have to be careful, right? When you, right, when you cite somebody expressing a sign to somebody else, well, then somebody else has a position too. Right, so, I have to look at in what context does the Rush say this about the Gonim, and now it could be that he's just, you know, that, that we would say, no, the Gonim also agree with his principle, and they just, you know, they just thought this was not an applicable case, that's possible, or it's possible that it's just a machlokas, the Gonim and the Rush, okay. And the Magad Mishnah, to Hilchas Chamei Tzimasa, right, so we're still in the Rishonim, Magad Mishnah is, uh, right, late 13th century, I think, um, wrote, She'ein lanu l'gzorg zerot mida'atenu, the same phrase, achar dorot ha'gonim, so there's a nice elegant solution, the Rush said, how could the Gonim do this after the after after Ravashi? The Magadishna says, well, that's fine, because the Gonim could do it too, it's just we can't. So it's true that they agree that we can't do it, 
but they don't really, right, right, the Magadish and the Rush are not saying the same thing. Right? The Magadish is taking the Gonim into account. Okay, the Chayin Kasev Haran Bashut Rivash, and Ravadya claims that the Ran writes the same thing as the, well, as both of them. For all we know, the Ran said, how can we make, zero, how can we make zeros after the Rambam, right? right? Since we don't have a clear idea of what the rule, what the rule is, we have to look up all these sources. The Chayin Kasev Radbaz Bitshuva Chelakalaf Vikarti Ferret, the Chayin Kasev Bashut Mari Brona, right? So Ravadya just gives you a list of six Mekorot. These are the fundamental basis of his claim that we cannot make new Zerot, and therefore, even though he thinks we perhaps Chazal would have and we should, we can't ban reading by electric light, um, or at least by a single electric bulb, whatever you think is analogous to, to oil lamp light on, uh, on Shabbat. Okay, so now we have to look, right, so our job is now to look at all those sources and see at the end of it, do we think that Rabbi statement is fair, or any statement of that sort is fair, that you actually can't do it. So here is... Here is what the um, here is what the rush actually writes. As the Chasav Rashi Rashi wrote, "Shematzab b'tshuvat ha'gaonim brisa." Rashi wrote that he found in a tshuva of the gaonim that they quoted a brisa. Tamim shadam shorei betanit ve'en mitpalel tefilat tanit. There are times when a person is fasting and nonetheless does not. And when they say shmona esrei, they don't say anenu. Uh, and sometimes you're not fasting and you do say anenu. Okay, okay, so how can that be? So the answer is most fasts are day to night. But you've ended, right? So the night before a day to night fast, you could say anenu even though you're not fasting, you're going to eat until tomorrow morning. And if you dive in Marev after this month, so you're still fasting. Sorry, uh, so you, sorry, if you don't matter this month, so you're, you're still fasting, but you wouldn't say anenu because it's not the day of your fast. Okay, right, that's right. Assuming that's true, that that's how, right, assuming that you're supposed to say anenu for the 24 hours of a fast, uh, right, um, right, so then we can, right, we can, you know, it's just a fun, it's just a fun way of, of, of telling you that halacha. Right, you, say, you say it in the night before because it's the day you're fasting, and you don't say it in the night after, even though you are fasting, because it's not the day you're fasting. Okay, right? Right on the, the eve of the fast, even though you're going to eat after, right after, right after you say anenu in the davening, you say anenu. Even though you're still fasting, all good. Right, that's all a bright, right? So let's just like we have to feel all the nesting things. This is the rush says that he found Rashi. Who found a Chuvas Hagaonim which quoted a Brayta, which said all this, none of which matters to us at all yet. <laughs> and now we get to the point that this is being quoted for. The self Divriagonim, and the end, after quoting this Brayta, the Gaonim say in their own voice, arvit, we don't have the meaning of saying Anenu the night before. We don't even have the habit of saying it in Shacharis in the morning, right? Which is, in fact, what we do, right? Shema Yerala Ones Chole Obumus Vit Omkum Venimsa Shakran Bitfilato. Because I think that the risk that it will turn out that you were lying, because you said to Hashem, we're fasting, and in the end you don't actually complete the fast, is too great, right? So the same basis that, all, you know, that on certain occasions we don't make the bracha beforehand because we're afraid that something will happen that you're, right, that you're not Yosef the bracha, that's why some brachas we make after the fact. So too here, right, uh, right here, right, we're afraid. We're afraid that you'll end up lying in, lying in your tefillah, so we don't say anenu except until mincha, which we think is fairly safe. What about the chazan? Because right? not everybody's going to get sick. So it's, right, it's a much better risk-reward ratio to have the chazan say it, right? And the gonim is what we do. Okay, now the rush says in his own voice. But about the Geonim's concern, lest you, t- lest you end up being a liar, Davin, their words are astonishing. Right? How, could, right, how could the Geonim say this? Uh, why? Why, why, do we, why do we think the Geonim shouldn't say this? Dim uh, Kane, because if that were so, Dim Kane, Heach Lov Adam Tanito Porea, Dim Kane Yaseh Shakram Bitfilato. There are occasions where we tell a person, right, you know what? You know, something comes up, you can't, right, you've made an editor to fast today, what you do is you'll, right, you'll, uh, right, you'll, 
uh, eat today and you'll fast another day to make up for it. How could that be, right? You're li- right, you lied and you're dominating. Obviously, we're not concerned about that. Okay, good, right? Interesting argument. Okay, and the second thing that the, the Rush says, and that seems to be really true, it seems to really said is, how could the Gonim come up with a Gzera after Ravashi finished the, after Ravashi finished Shas? Okay, right, so the Rush really does say that. Why should the finishing of the Shas be a boundary? Yes. Didn't quote it either, though. Didn't quote it either, yeah. But I wonder if it has some... Okay. It looks like it has something to do with the, part of the original Torah. Okay, right. So an interesting claim. Maybe that's different because there there was a bright side that already talked about what popular practice is. Right, so... Right, so the, the, how could they want to make Xera uh, against, uh, against that? Uh, okay. It could be. Right, this is the way... I don't know. Right, yeshivishly, we end up where right, we go to the... You know, at least the internal mythos of the halachic system, which is that the completion of Shas is somehow seen as equivalent to a great Sanhedrin because, or to a consensus of the entire Jewish people. Somehow, right, whether this is true or not historically, uh, right, but so, right, so we can claim that there's, that Xerot require that kind of universal acceptance, and therefore, they, right, and therefore the, um, the, Gonim, the Gonim never had that kind of authority, and therefore they can't do that. Interesting claim. Also possible that in practice Gonim actually had more of that authority <laughs> than whenever Shas was completed, but that's not you know that's a historical question, not part of the internal the internal areas of the system. Okay, um, but if the rush is right, so the most we have is a machlokus between the Gonim and the rush. Um, this is an interesting thing. Okay, so I'm just going to throw out one thing, which is that what did the Gonim actually say? So so I, I found a tshuva of the Gonim. Uh, which, uh, which may be, which I presume is at least the version of the original that I cut before Rashi. And he, that's verse twenty, which I didn't translate, but here, here I'll, I'll translate with you uh, live. Aval Rashi Shivot Avotenu Ushar Chachamim Lo Hayu Omri Manenu B'Shamei Tefila Lo Barvit Lo Afilu B'Shachri B'Tanit. That was their practice. Umatam Hayu Omrin Lav Brachav Efnei Atzmahi Shanu Shanu Haskara ba'almahi. They said anenu isn't. It's not. We're not leaving out a bracha. There's no cost to leaving out anenu. It's just a mention. Lama maskir. Why should we mention it? Shema enam yecholin l'sayem etayom l'ashlimo b'tanid v'nimsa sheker b'tfila. Okay. V'zeu taman. That was the rationale. L'lofichach lo yamaskir anenu el b'minchas shel tanid bilvad. Ela misha rotzela askir anenu yiskor. They read the Kshur of the Gon and they weren't making Xera at all. All they said was, this is our minhag, we don't do it. If you want to do it, go ahead, take the chance. Anyone who wants to, but to ask, well, what was our minhag, right? If we write up the, you know, the book, Minhag Yehagonim. Right? So then the Gonim themselves wouldn't say it because right, they said, look, what's the big deal if we don't say an enu? Right? Nobody thinks you're not Yotze, a Tfilo of Tanis, if you don't say, if you don't say an enu. It's just Askar Ba'amach. And the sensibility of having lied to God was too great for them. But anyone else can say, look, you know what, but I, 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 in good faith I'm saying, why not? Right, so, actually looking at the truth of the Onim undermines my response, you know, because it could be that actually everyone agrees you can't make a new Xera. Uh, the Onim agreed with that also. They didn't make a new Xera. They just said, right, we, we, just said we don't see this as a reasonable cost-benefit ratio. So if that's the case, right, so maybe Ravadia really has a... Um, Maybe really has a uh, has a rush. So I'm going to tell you what I think is the you know, what I think is the key to all this is along the lines of what Yoni suggested, and then we'll look next time at the other five sources and see if and see if this holds up all the way through. I think that there's a difference between um, making exera when confronting the exact same circumstances that Chazal confronted. And saying, you know what, they did not choose to make this xera, and we, in the exact same circumstance, will choose to make xera. Right? That you can say, you know what, that they're choosing not to make the xera, 
is not something that we can, right? It's not something that we can, right? What authority do we have to make nuclear accurate? And we started to ask, why not? Because right? that's just Zagdola did it, right? right? All the Siagim come in, all Siagim come into being at some period. So if Siagim, right? So why should we be there? You still have to ask that question. And I don't have an answer for it yet. But I want to suggest that if I'm just looking for ways to claim that the Russia's principle is not anywhere near as broad as everybody is claiming it, I'll say, look, that Gemara is dealing with the case like we're making up Xera out of our own heads without any new circumstances to prompt it. Right? We're just taking the same circumstances they had, so we'd have to claim. Circumstances that claim that used to be that people never got sick or people always finished their tanas no matter what. And, right? Uh, but nowadays, people have, are, you know, the, the generations have gotten weaker, uh, right? or we respect fasting much less, whatever it may be. So now the odds of completing your fast are, you know, are only, maybe only, you know, 51% of people complete their fast now in their day, 76%. So we, we, you know, we could make an argument like that, but there's nothing in the Gonim. The Gonim don't say anything like that. They just say, right, we're taking the exact same circumstances as Chazal took, and we're making up zero. So we can say, you know what, you can't do that. So if that's the case, that would have no rela- relevance at all to an electric light. Dafka, because as Rav Osha said, like, either you're going to say, we can't make up Nuxera, you're not going to, right, would you say that about a case where they had no opportunity to make Nuxera? So I want to suggest right now, again, it's not doesn't solve the problem because I still have to ask the question. Well, if Chazal could make Zerah that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't, right? why can't we make Zerah that, 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 uh, that Chazal didn't? And the answer to that, like what, I, what I'm hoping we'll have later next week, is some kind of idea that the way in which Zerah happened is not the same as the way in which other Jerobanos happened. The way in which Xero, the way in which Xero happened, right? The Xero or Siagim, the way in which they happened is not right. I, w- I want to argue, and I'm going to right, I'm foreshadowing next week, but I don't have the formulation yet. So you can think about it all next week. Uh, right. I want to argue that there is really a difference between Xero and a Takana, or the kind of Xero, or at least people have in their heads that the way in which a Siag happens is different than the way in which a Takana happens. Everyone understands that you could make a Takana. We're going to talk about everyone. Everyone's going to, everyone knows we have made Takanas. We do make Takanas. But there's something about the way Xera happens that is different, and that's what, um, and that's, and that something that's different about Xera is going to explain why we might think that we don't have the authority to do it, even though, even though they had the authority to do it in the, under the same circumstances. Yes, Yana. Well, is it? I think that if you look at the Shubhas Gonim, the Gonim never made Xera. So his attack on the Gonim is completely unjustified. But, that's, but that doesn't change the fact that the Rush made a principle. Right? If the, Rush, right, cause the Rush said they couldn't do it if it were Xera. That's correct. So we could say that Ravadia putting this term into, you know, all Ravadia is, we have to say, what is this? That the Russia, you know, so we could say, no, when he said Xero, what he really means is just their, 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 their minhag. And, and there, there is also this phrase, Yes. So the challenge there is, right, you have to be careful of the term minhag. Right? So when they go on him, right, normally in the going truth, if you saw again you would think that meant this is the mandatory practice we institute in our yeshiva. Now, what happens when we read this original tshuva, what it says is, right, it says explicitly, um, right, that it was, it was, Roshay yeshivatenu ushar chachamim. And at the end, it's of, So I think you're right, historically, if our text of the tshuva's gonim is correct. But I think the Rush, looking at the text he had, right, which is, would have properly understood that to mean that this is the mandatory practice of everybody, and not just the pract- and not just the minag of the of the of, of the rabbi standing in front of the room. So it's tricky, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's not what I was talking about. Right. So, right. So the problem is, right? So it sounds like he used the word minhag, and we said zeros takanot minhagot are are different things, and we obviously have minhagim. Right. No one disagrees that there are minhagim that are post shas. Right, so right, that's a big problem, right? Why does the rush fit this into the category of Gezerah? 
So it sounds like he's saying is that the way he understands what they're doing, at least Ramavadya understands the rush to be saying, that what they said was, even though you really should say Anenu in, in, uh, in Shemayashri, the way, right, the, because that's what the, the Matbeah of the Shatavu Chachamim is, we are instituting a new regulation that you're not allowed to. Because the result, right, because if you do it, we think that will have a, that will have a, uh, a negative effect, which is that you'll have turned out to have, You'll turn, you'll turn out to have lied in davening. But as you're all correct, right, that there's, that's probably, we know if the Tshuva Gaonim that I have is the right Tshuva Gaonim, then that's certainly not what they meant. Even reading the Tshuva Gaonim in the version the Rush has is not obvious that they meant Gzera. And so you know, in order to make the argument, we have to claim that the Rush misunderstood the Gaonim, even though it's not obvious that he did. Right, so that right, so maybe we're better off saying no. The rush obviously understood it. He wouldn't right. Rush wouldn't have made a mistake like that. How could we claim the rush made a mistake like that? Therefore, the rush must not have been saying, must not have been saying this is exactly we can get rid of it entirely. Uh, right, we could do that. Uh, yeah, that has to leave to you. Uh, that has to leave to you. Yeah, if I simply, you know, I guess I'm biased for Vavadia. I think the rush does seem to be saying something like that. Um, Like there, lest you come to have lied in your tefillah. Uh, but it's still not, you know, it's not lest you come to do something in the future. It's like there, lest you come to have done something in the past. Right? So that, right? So it's also an unusual Xera, even if you frame it that way. Okay. Um, yeah. Russia is not using a terminal. I think that's true. I think that's true. Uh, yeah. And I said, Ramosha, it's not clear Ramosha thinks this. Ramosha just says, if, if, if. Uh, it could be that Ramosha thinks we could make such a zero, just we haven't. And that's going to be, right, so that's really, you know, that's another tip off, right? Is. To say, right, if, if we could make Zerot that Chazal didn't, does that mean that I can just paskin? This is Usr now because you asked me a Shaila? Right? Shouldn't legislation require legislation? Right, why don't they just answer saying, what we have? so Rush couldn't answer that because he thinks they did legislate. But Ravosha could simply have said, even if you say that we have the power to make Zerot, but we haven't made it, so it's not Usr. It's interesting he doesn't use that language. Very good exact question, right? What does it mean to legislate, right? So that would, that would get, right? That's why it's a fun example of trying to think about how Lacha works. Because we have, you know, when was the last time we legislated? You know, it's a whole interesting question. You know, Gershom, maybe, but all local communities are legislated all the time. They legislate. They, have, they come together as a community. And right, they just right, they and they say we accept upon ourselves as a harem. right? Now do we do that now? Yeah. So the question is, does that work? Do people really accept it? Yeah, I tried in Harvard Hill to do it without prenups, right? That you know, in this community, nobody gets married without prenups. Um, but you know, what people said, but so I don't really identify with this community. I'm just out, I'm just here for college. Right. So that's the whole. Uh, but I think like if the, you know, I think that's modern orthodoxy is trying now. To implement a, a right, you know, communal xero or takana, that you're not allowed to marry somebody without a prenup, you know, in in Chazalic terms, we would, you know, we we would be happy to say afkinu. I daven maravurdi, so if you need me for the minion, I guess, but. If anybody yeah. else raises their hand, I should tell them not to come. Yeah, please. <laughs> I also got to pick my son up and uh, yeah. didn't. Um, yeah. Um, yes, yeah. so I think. Um, I think. I think that that's a. Uh, I think that you know that if, if we had that kind of power in modern orthodoxy, that's how we would do it. People try to you know and yeah, COVID right. The rabbis of the community essentially tried to right. Close all the shuls, right? You know, as a you know, and and right, and ban anybody from forming a minion. Right? So that was a really interesting example of an attempt to have uh, to 
have le- to have le- to have legislation of that sort. Uh, probably like the most concerted effort to really right to really change communal 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 um, practice by power um, that I you know, that, that I know of. Um, Yeah, right. I was like, you know, Rebulik has a rule that there's some shuri laws, right? That some Hasidic communities have, and they certainly write. Rebulik has a rule in his shul that you know each simcha lets you have a certain kind of kiddush, and right, and you can't, uh, you can't, you know, nobody's allowed to buy a more expensive kiddush for that kind of simcha. Anybody else, at least, is used to. It. I don't know if it still does, um, right? Because he has that kind of power in that shul, and within shuls, you know, some rabbis have that kind of power. Yeah, but it doesn't sound like it's right. So, right. So, I think we're, you know, I think, I think that there's an intuitive sense that Xera is somehow very different, and uh, and the clue I've been pushing from the very beginning on that is what I thought was the amazing thing of the Rambam in presenting the chicken and milk thing as a live dispute. I think that the, that that's so counterintuitive to us that it tells us that we think about Xeros not as things that are legislated. Because the Rambam locating it in time, that's when they legislated this, seems weird to us. I think, at least it seems weird to me. Uh, right? So that's why I, I think that, um, that there's going to be some sense in many people's heads that Xeros are not legislated in the... Right, that they, they, come in, you know, they, they come, to use a holy inept metaphor, right? They, they, they spring from, uh, like, you know, like Nerva from the head of Zeus, right? Right? That they come together. All right, the moment we have Susyagla Torah, a vast array of of right, of legislation pops into being, without anybody actually legis- anybody actually legislating anything other than the concept of Xeros. Good. And I think Zeros, uh It's in Shabbos, not all for Shabbos. I think Zeros, the day that Beit Shammai outnumbered Beit Hill. Right, so they pass the 19 Zerud, and Ramam thinks those are unique because they're most inevitable and you can't change them at all. Um, yeah. So those, those are not Siagim in the same, right? Those are, those are social... I mean, it, really they're not. So one of the not reading by, by Lamplight is one of them, apparently, if you get a list of 19. The other, you know, a lot of them are bans against certain kind of associations with non-Jews, lest you come to intermarry. So those are interesting because they're not the same kind of Siag. As you do this, you'll. But they're like, they're the kind of the Torah, right? The Koral Lachav Echotam Zivcho. So it's very hard to it's very hard, it's very hard to figure out the. That's my sense is that there's going to be hiding behind there, and they might interrogate and see if it's true or not. Uh, right, that there's some kind of notion like zero different.